Hey guys, a bit of a different episode today. This one is more or less the one covering our butts for the Lost episode. The Lost episode being one that someone forgot to hit the download button and then didn't get to it in time and lost it and we'll never hear from it again. I don't know who that could have been. Anyway, this episode is supposed to be a fun way to hit on some keynotes instead of just telling you guys what happened during the last session. We get to meet some of the NPCs that popped up, and we get to meet them in different ways that give us more information than even the players had at the time, so that's kind of fun. Some details are hinted at instead of just flat out told, so we do love questions and this would be a great episode to ask us some questions about so we can kind of like tell you. Even though that was the whole point of the set, you, you know what I mean. I, I know I just kind of explained it so we wouldn't have to tell you, but engagement. We want engagement. We love questions. We love feedback. Even a nice little chat. How to do? How's your day been? What the weather's like? Love that stuff. That's the whole reason for us to be doing this anyway. Well, that and it's really good and easy session notes. So that I do admit. Our next upload should be our normal episode format and takes place right where this one leaves off. Not only that, but either on the next upload or the one after, you might be hearing from Corey, our new head editor here at Dicey Outcomes. He might be doing some intros and I know you'll miss me tons and I'm the best and so much better than Corey, but I'd also have some stuff to say so you won't miss me long. And all joking aside, I'm very excited to have Corey here. Corey is going to be wonderful. He's going to be great. He's going to put me to shame and actually get some professionalism in this place. And before we jump into the episode, remember, we have a dice sponsor. Cursed Clover Dice makes some of the best dice on Etsy. And it's a shame you guys haven't cleared out their shop yet, because if you don't, I'm going to. And it's seriously a problem. They have the best dice for some of the best prices for... I, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. There's some really good dice out there. Uh, uh, Cursed Clover makes some of the best dice I've ever seen for the money. And, like, I look at dice that are, like, a couple hundred dollars. So, like, on the real? On the real? No. How, what do the kids say? No cap? Yeah, that's what they say. They make great things. So, if you need a new set, if you need one that's just really cool, if you need one of those special bigger ones, which I think are called chonkers, I should have done that research before I started opening my mouth, but we're almost done, so we're just going to keep going. They're a one-stop shop. And if you like what you see, our promo code is Cursed Outcomes, and they should save you money on your checkout. And besides all that, please enjoy episode six, The One Without the Party. They really are. They're, they're not real nerds like us. Gatekeep nerding. Because I came up with a technique called Fly Horse. Has been handmade by someone. He just needs numbers. I am the neighbor kid. Yikes. Um, I would quit. Has anybody tried to breathe yet? What, what if I just pull? Oh my god, two knives? Oh, I got so many stabs per minute. Say them out loud and hope that someone else will add it faster. Because they will. We came to the conclusion that I do have a natural 20 strength. So I had these 15 half wing children and I just totally ran with Camp Counselor. My character is literally. Kill big thing. I have so many fun facts. Three criticals and four rolls. Exactly. I'm not paying to not be at home. Yeah, I'm gonna milk them for it. Those responsible for a very funny Wackus Bonkus reference. Have fun. Don't die. Drink wine. I am a musician. Not in the like cool hip sense. You heard all sorts of new and exciting thoughts rattling around in its head 
and it was excited to see what they all evolved into. But for now, it was time for Fish. And after Fish, it wanted to play. We join our heroes in a different way today. Today, we watch as the city of Sharn adapts and takes notice to our up-and-coming heroes. Our first stop is the Carlo Diamond, just missing the end of our hero's breakfast. As the room settled, Monica, still in her PJs, ushered the other employees of the Carlo Diamond to get back to work. After the small show with the new hires, everyone was a bit shell-shocked. I swear, Pamela said, shaking out the ash of her cigarette. The older tiefling woman dressed in a lavish fur-lined robe scanned the room, remembering the brief but wild events that just took place. That little group is going to lead to major trouble soon. Not that I terribly mind, of course. The day-to-day mundane of this place certainly needs broken up. Monica sighed, walking back over to the bar to help clean up the dishes from the morning staff's breakfast. Being a gnome, it was more or less her walking across the bar, making different piles of dishes to be scooped up later. Her blondish red hair was strung up in a ponytail, and her glasses hung loosely on her face. I don't know. Sure, the big hairy one was a bit intense, and the robot definitely has a screw loose. But for the most part, I, I like them. Pamela huffed a short laugh. Darling Monica, the nicest, most well put together of them took a book that refused to be burned away from the basement of a church. It's a miracle they lived as long as they have. Monica shrugged, slowly making her way to the kitchen with an armful of dishes from one of the piles. Still, I can't help but things are going to be better around here with them. Mark my words. Pamela sat in silence for a few moments, tapping her cigarette into a glass, a cat-like smile appearing on her face. Consider them marked, darling. Consider them marked. Our camera quickly flies past the door to the Carlo Diamond before taking flight. We rush past the humongous cobblestone and brass-colored buildings of Middle Dora and the Middle Ward of Sharn. Up here, the city's massive stretch across the horizon can be fully taken in. However, the wonderful sight was not for long. As we come back down, more buildings rush past, and these are lacking that signature Sharn quality. No modern brass coloring in the dreary cut stone can be seen. While it's still a sunny day, the way the forgotten district of Malion's Gate was built makes the street level dim and dark. Smoke in the air and rats scurrying about paints an accurate picture of the district the large goblin and bugbear population live in. Sharn and the guards that work for it seem to have forgotten about this district, as crime and squander are easily seen. And speaking of which, we find a small goblin running as fast as they can down an alleyway. They're running from a cobalt thief, a human politician, a shifter banker, a half-orc protector, a fungus robot, and a human advisor, or so the goblin thinks, and from their new target, a elven swordswoman. None of them spotted the goblin, especially the elven swordswoman, who, thanks to the goblin, is missing one sword. And even though his crime went unnoticed, the goblin keeps running. The goblin mumbled, pleased at his new score. They never even single Pocknock. Pocknock is the best goblin thief this side of Fifth Avenue. However, in all of his excitement, the goblin ran into someone. Pocknock fell to the ground, his new prized sword clattering away just out of his reach. 
Bachnot looked up and gulped. The bugbear known as Brutus was standing above him. Brutus was the strongest, most battle-hardened bugbear in all the gate, working directly with Gaslack. Brutus also carried the Stone of Ending, a crystal-encrusted greatsword that he used as a club to, well, uphold the peace was the line usually given. Brutus looked down at the goblin before instantly spotting the sword. The stolen sword was good quality from the looks. Not banged up, not too short, and good craftsmanship. Brutus grunted, rolling a shoulder at the sword near the goblin's hands. It was the closest the goblin was going to get to a where did that come from, from Brutus. Um, uh... Bachnock did not expect to meet Brutus so soon after a theft. Uh, Brut- Br- Brutus, listen, I, I, I didn't steal it, that's what you're wondering. <laughs> Do you say that? Possession is nine-tenths the law around here. <laughs> Before he could finish, he saw the bugbear-shaped mountain reach down and grab the grip of the sword. With a simple point of the finger from Brutus, the goblin immediately spilled the beans about the sword, about where he stole it from, who he stole it from, and more importantly, who was with him. Brutus listened, piecing together all the information from the goblin. Not the best source for truthful information, true, but Brutus always had luck. With everything the goblin told him, Brutus knew he had to pass the message along. Our camera quickly loses focus on Brutus and the Goblin as we fly up and back to our friends in the middle of the district. As we follow them, they confront the pickpocketing goblins they did manage to catch. And by the time they returned most of their belongings, they were once again greeted by danger. This time it was in the form of a male Medusa, Gaslack, wheeled to them in a wheelchair who claims to be the lawman in this district. Brutus, Gaslack's right-hand man, is behind him who has passed the message along to his boss about these visitors. He had one hand on the wheelchair, and the other hand gripped on the crystal greatsword on his back, just in case. Not to mention the 20 or so other bugbears and goblins they brought along as well surrounded them. Our party, explaining that Don Carlo has sent them to get the black-robed individuals, believe that there might be a hideout in this district. Gaslack confirms this as they've been hunting them too. However, even though Gaslight told them where he believes the black-robed group is located, he does not do so without other motives. As Gaslack, Brutus, and the rest of their game leaves our heroes, mumbled curses can be heard from the wheelchair. That's goddamn Carlo. Gaslight would say, slamming the arm of his wheelchair. First time he stuck his nose in my district. The bastard put me in this chair. <laughs> I'm not gonna let him send his posse down here. As if he can walk all over me. He said, grit and violence dripping from his voice. The snakes on his head, worn in a neatly tied braid, begin to writhe with his emotions. Brutus. Yes, sir. Follow them. Take some men. And if, that's a big if, they come out of that hideout, kill them. Kill them on the spot. And grab me one of those black robe bastards, too. I want to send a message to all these outsiders. Gaslack said before trailing off. Brutus could only imagine the pity he would soon feel to one of these black-robed individuals for crossing his boss. Yes, sir. Our camera follows Brutus for the next hour or so as he takes his boss home and gathers up the best goblin fighters he could find on short notice. He took his new goblin squad and head towards the location of the black robes, or at least the spot his boss told those would-be heroes. Brutus and his followers hunker down, watching and waiting. The goblins were told to jump the party when they came out, as Brutus expects even if they live, they would be hurt and shambled by the monster that the black robes had. 
However, Brutus couldn't help get the thought of that shifter he saw earlier today out of his mind. The shifter was well-dressed and incredibly well-built. Brutus embarrassingly found himself hoping the shifter wouldn't be killed by the monster and he was smart enough to run away. Brutus could have sworn he'd seen the shifter once before but couldn't think of where. However, his thoughts were interrupted as the commotion could be heard inside the abandoned building they were watching. Brutus could hear shouting, followed by what could only have been magical explosions. Several times flames flickered inside the windows before two black-robed individuals, nearly bald, could be seen coming out the front door. However, just as it looked like they were about to make a break for it, they stopped and waited for another to emerge, and did it. A hulking mass of a human came out of the doorway. It was nearly nine feet tall, and clothes were simply threads on it, and his head began to shift and elongate. This was the monster that the black robes had, but Brutus has never seen this thing so grotesque. The rumors he heard made it out to be more of a shapeshifter, something invisible, and moved throughout the night. Seeing this thing, this monstrosity, it filled Brutus with a sense of hate, of fury, of rage. Before he could stop himself, he had drawn his sword and charged the creature, a red blur tinting his vision and only had one thought, and that was to kill this beast and rid the world of one more monstrosity. However, if Brutus was there a few minutes earlier, he would have seen our heroes enter the old building. And if our heroes were a few minutes earlier, they would have seen Drew Hardy enter the building as well. Drew made his way around the first level of the supposed black-robed hideout, missing the back entrance that our heroes have found. Drew was a local PI for hire and a somewhat well-known one. For as good as a detective as he was, it was his bar tabs around Sharn that were truly legendary. As Drew found his way into the building's study, that's where his memory got a little fuzzy. Well, fuzzy-er. He remembered seeing people in black robes and one guard emerging from a hidden trap door. And being a firm believer of hitting first and asking questions later, he unholstered his wand. Between the bright and hot flashes and some pain in his ribs, Drew blacked out again for the third time that day. He awoke with a group of people around him, healing him up and asking him questions. Their names were something like Jackie, Novella, Biggie, John, Mira, uh, a robot named Frogchair, and Ash. Or at least that's what he thinks their names were. He was still rather drunk. He did know he was certain of Ash, as it's not every day as you meet someone who's invisible. Before he could really get some hard-hitting questions out of them, they all of a sudden bolted. Drew followed, limping along, as they all broke out into the streets. Even now, seeing what looked to be a monster, Drew wondered if he was on the right side of this fight. The enemy of my enemy, or so they say. However, after taking a swig of one of his flasks, and gripping another one of his wands, he went into the street anyway. Besides, people who work for Don Carlo usually always die in spectacular ways. Dicey Outcomes Framework Scheme is an unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy. Portions of the material used are properties of Wizards of the Coast. Dicey Outcomes Framework Schemes has not been endorsed or sponsored by Wizards of the Coast. Hey guys, this is Ian. I don't usually talk over the outro because I love it so much, but I just wanted to say, if you like what we're doing and you want to keep supporting it, just head us up on uh, the socials, on the Discord, on Facebook, on Instagram. Tell your friends! We're only going to get better from here, 
and now is the perfect time to join in while our story is just starting out. We're just starting out. We're going to have fun. You're going to have fun. All right. I don't want to ruin that. So talk to you guys later. Bye.